0: thank you holly and aaron for leading us um beautiful time of worship and to just be reminded of that great hope that we have that christ will come again, and we get to experience a little taste of that every time we are together uh, in worship. What a joy it is to be able to worship with you all. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. Um, If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I would love an opportunity to do that. Um, I see many people who I don't know, and um, it's been a few weeks just with all of the rhythms of our church, from Baptism Sunday to Senior Sunday, Um, and then last weekend I was traveling out of town, so it's been a little bit since I've been here, and they still put a clock up in front of me, which is a a little frustrating. Um, but uh, I am so glad to uh, be back to open up uh, the book of Acts with you again. And uh, because I have uh, missed maybe a few Sundays here and there, uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'd love that opportunity to do that. Last week, Pastor Kyle um, returned us, brought us back into our study in the book of Acts. And if you're a guest with us, our practice here at City Church is just to work our way through books of the Bible. And we're at the kind of front end of our study in the book of Acts. And so if you want to turn and open your Bibles even now to Acts chapter 5, last week Pastor Kyle ended Acts chapter 4 and um, illuminated for us, showed us the calling of God on the church uh, towards to be unified, to gospel unity and radical generosity and reminded us. We see this demonstration through the story of Barnabas who was willing to give all that he had, sold his land so that he could give to God's work and be a part of God's kingdom building effort there. God, the gospel teaches us, as Pastor Kyle Lumber, that the, that Christians, we as Christians, as Christ followers, we should be the most unified people there are and we should be the most generous people there are. And I say that we should be the most unified people that there are because while we have, I look across this room, I have zero doubts that there is every background and sort of life situation, circumstances, there are so many things that cause us to be different and have different lives and yet in the gospel we have been united as one through Christ. And in Christ, we are the most unified people on the planet. We should be, the church should have that type of unity both here locally and globally as we partner together. I think of having Aaron and Holly here this weekend and they serve in a ministry. They are a part of another local body, the Parks Church, our sister church that uh, we uh, love so much. And they are doing, we are for them in the same way we are for all the other churches in this community that are proclaiming the gospel of Christ. We have more in common with those other believers than we have with anyone else in the world. And that's what the gospel does. It also should cause us to be the most generous people because we know the end of the story. We don't have to hoard for ourselves. We don't have to worry about tomorrow. We don't have to do many of the things that the world does, not unwisely, but with wisdom, we can trust and have great confidence in our future because of the gospel. The gospel unifies us and calls us to radical generosity. As we think about this, as we saw that story unfolding at the end of chapter 4, it is, in a sense the story continues with a counterexample to what we saw in Barnabas as we come to Acts chapter 5. We see the dark side, unfortunately, of what can happen when we aren't unified and when the gospel has not taken full root in our hearts. We can see the threats to gospel unity and radical generosity. See, the church at this stage, just sort of historically, is in its infancy. It's so new that in verse 11, which I'm about to read for us, you will see the word ecclesia, or you will see the word church used, and it's the first time in the New Testament. Acts chapter 5, verse 11 is the first time in the New Testament that the word church is even used. It just demonstrates the infancy of the church. And because the church was in its infancy, there was many threats, the outside threats, also the the internal threats. I'm sure many of us can remember what it felt like. Some of you in this room, 10 years ago, when we planted this church, almost 10 years ago, we were in the infancy of our church, and there were so many things that were challenging and hard, and those threats, those attacks, and so we had to guard, we had to be as diligent as we could, we had to work really hard in order to build the kingdom up, build the church up, and we had to ask the Lord for a lot of help, and we've seen his favor over these last 10 years. Well, Jesus had promised to build his church, and he would also, as he promised to build his church, and he said that nothing would stand against it, that meant he would protect his church. And in the protection of his church, we see this story in Acts chapter 5 that demonstrates Jesus' protection over the church, his guard against it. And so if you're able, would you stand out of reverence for God's holy word as I read our text this morning, Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter said to her, "'Tell me whether you sold the land for so much.' And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would teach us through your word to revere you, to have a holy fear and reverence towards you, God. We thank you for your church. We thank you that in this story, we can see your guarding against sin, your protection of your body, so that we might be the recipients of that gospel. All these many, many years later, you are still at work building your church. I do pray that as we look at this text, God, that you would teach us, you would shape us to look more like yourself, Jesus. Holy Spirit, come and speak through me. May you get all the glory. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So we see this story, and it's quite a challenging story. If you were coming here this morning looking for something uplifting, And just all sorts of encouragement and joy and um, all the goodness of God. Yes, we are experiencing the goodness of God in one another, but we are facing, we look, we come to a text that's a really challenging text. One of the beauties of this church, by the way, if you've ever wondered to yourself, maybe you've been around for a little while. Why do they just go through books of the Bible? Why do they just go verse by verse? Why don't they skip around and talk about things? Because you know what would happen if we skipped around, I'd skip this. Because it's a challenging text. It's a challenging text to preach. It's a challenging text to receive. I understand that it's a challenging text for you to hear and to believe and to trust. What is happening? Why did God preserve this text in our Bibles? It's there for a reason. All scripture is God-breathed, and so we trust it, and so we work our way through books of the Bible so that when we come to challenging texts, we don't just get to say, eh, I'm going to take a pass on that one. But no, we dig in and we understand. We dig to understand what is it that God has for us through this. So we see this story again. The counter of this is that Barnabas had been generous. He was called the son of encouragement. He had been faithful in what God had called him to do. do. And now we see in Ananias and Sapphira this contrast of this. They also sold a piece of property. They sold a piece of property, and it says that after they sold it, rather than laying all of the proceeds of that sale down at the feet of the apostles, as Barnabas had, they kept some back for themselves. And as we read... In both instances, both Ananias and then Sapphira found themselves dead. This is described as a judgment miracle. It was a miracle, not the types of miracles that we often look for and desire, but it was a miracle of God's providence to judge them immediately for this act. But as we look at this, it's important that we understand what was the sin. See, Ananias had promised We can infer to give the proceeds of his land sale to the church, just as Barnabas had. But when he did sell the land, when he actually did it, he held some back. It's interesting. No one made Ananias and Sapphira, by the way, commit to giving this land away. No one put a gun to their head or threatened them or said, you must do this. But it was out of their own and somewhat desire to sell their land and commit to give all that they had and to lay it down at the apostles' feet. But they didn't do this. They had committed, perhaps, as we try to understand what the sin was, because as doing this, this would have elevated them, they felt. Perhaps if we lay down all of our property, we sell our land, we want to be like Barnabas too. We want to be called the son of encouragement or the son and daughter of encouragement. Something had trickled into their hearts and convinced them that they should offer this. They should make this commitment to give all that they had. But when the time came, they didn't do this. Many of us have experienced this before. Dear Lord, if you'll just let me pass this test, I promise I will read my Bible starting tomorrow every day of my life. (laughs) No one made you make that promise to God, but you did so thinking that you could bargain with God, that you could get something in exchange. Dear Lord, if you just help me get this sale... I promise I'll take my family to church every week this year. Dear Lord, if you just say yes to this, I promise, fill in the blank. We are bargaining with God. I can remember so often, especially in the early life of my faith, where I was still figuring things out. I thought, if I just do this, then God will do this. And Perhaps this is what Ananias and Sapphira had begun to believe, that, that God was some cosmic genie, some bargain maker, something like that. If they would do this, then God would do this, and then... Their temptation came in. But when they did sell, of course, they held back. And in the act of holding back, they lied to the church. But even worse, look at verse 3. It says they lied to God. Peter confronts them and says, Ananias, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? The sin that they committed was lying to God. And this was a serious offense, so serious, again, that God would not let it pass. The Holy Spirit, who had brought the church together, who had unified the church, it was the acts of the Holy Spirit. Remember, just a few chapters ago, the Holy Spirit comes down at Pentecost and establishes the church. And now, these two have lied to God, lied to the Holy Spirit, who is the one who established and brought the unity that existed there. The Holy Spirit is the one who maintained the unity of the church. We are first united and unified by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're united and unified to God and then we are unified together. This is why we so often say, when we come to faith in Jesus, you aren't just saved and redeemed to yourself, you are saved into the body of Christ and this is that body, which is why. Well, it's why we value being a part of the body, why we hold church membership. We call it covenant partnership of this church. We hold a high standard for that because it's important, because it's the work of the Holy Spirit. And lying to the Holy Spirit was a serious offense. But that lie, that sin that they manifested, it didn't just start with that lie. See, sin never comes out and reveals itself right away, does it? Doesn't it creep in Slowly? tempting us to make certain decisions so we must ask ourselves where did this sin begin look again at verse 3 what peter says and look who is credited with influencing ananias and sapphira ananias why has satan filled your heart satan is there lurking in the darkness he's watching as god is building his church and he hates it friends Satan despises the work of God to build his church because in building up his church and redeeming souls, he is establishing glory for himself. And Satan is against one thing, and that is the glory of God. He wants nothing to do with the glory of God, and he will fight against it. And so he strikes the church where it's very vulnerable in Ananias and Sapphira's heart. And he doesn't have to do much, though, does he? It's just a slight temptation, and it's the same thing that we've experienced and we've seen all throughout Scripture. You go back to Genesis chapter 3. What's the first thing that Satan says? Did God actually say? And every single one of us, in one form or another, have been asked that question by Satan. Did God actually say that was a problem? Is it really clear Pastor, show me in the Bible where it says that we can't do this. I've been asked that in a million different ways. You've asked that perhaps of yourself or of your friends. Did God actually say, and once that seed was planted by Satan, that's all he had to do. All he had to do was just plant that seed. Did God really say, after that, Ananias and Sapphira's own sin took over? Just imagine if Adam and Eve back in the garden, when they were confronted by Satan, and he asked them, did God actually say, What if they were able to say, yes, God actually did say that, and he's walking amongst us, and he's been with us, and we have perfect fellowship with our God, and so I'm not really interested in whatever questions you have to ask me right now. So you just run along, little one. I'm done with you. Can you imagine if Adam and Eve would have been able to say that? They walked with God. They had that perfect relationship with God, and yet in their own sinfulness, which teaches us how deprived and depraved our own hearts are. They couldn't say that. Imagine again if Ananias and Sapphira, when Satan asked them, did God really say you had to give all the money? Did he tell you you had to give all the money to the church? No, you said that. And so imagine walking so closely with God that when temptations come our way, we could say, yes, God did say that. Yes, God has affirmed that. This is why we study our Bibles, friends. This is why we must know the word and know God. It's because we are going to face those same temptations. Satan is going to come and is going to ask you, did God really say this or that? And when he does, we must be prepared to give an answer. Alas, they didn't do that. And so Satan planted the seed and they fell. They sold the land. And then when they looked at the proceeds of the land, they said, well, this is a lot of money. Maybe the church doesn't need all of this. Perhaps Ananias and Sapphira's land was more valuable than Barnabas, and they said, well, Barnabas got praise for giving this amount, and so we'll just give the same amount as him, and we'll kind of hold some back. Maybe if we give it all away, though, will we have anything to eat? Maybe that's what they thought. Maybe they thought if we give it all away, we're not sure we'll have the funds to buy that new car. If we give it all away, we might have to push out retirement just a little bit longer. Satan tempted Ananias and Sapphira by convincing them that God wouldn't care if they lied to him. And their own sinful desires and idolatry just took it from there. Started with that seed being planted and then it just built up. Of course, we've seen this over and over again in scripture. We've seen it before. Even in our church, we've studied in the book of Joshua. If we look back at Ananias and Sapphira and what happened to them... If we look specifically at verse 2, this is what it says that they did. It says, Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds. He kept back from itself. That verb that is used to describe or is translated for us as held back or kept back, the original language, that would be translated as pilfer or embezzle. It's a strange word. It's only used a few times in scripture. Nasfizomai, to pilfer or embezzle. This helps us see the heart of what they did. This is, again, understanding where the sin started. To pilfer or, embe- or embezzle, you don't pilfer or embezzle your own funds. This is what Peter was saying. Who, When it was your land before... You had complete control of it. It wasn't until you committed to give it to the Lord and you made this promise before God and the church to give all of this to the Lord. And then you pilfered or embezzled this from God. The only other instance of this verb, or one of the few instances I should say, of this verb being used is in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. For those of you who are with us when we studied the book of Joshua, from Joshua chapter 7, verse 1. But the people of Israel, this is right after the fall of Jericho, but the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. That word that is translated for us as took in our Old Testament, in the Greek translation of that Hebrew, it's the same verb, embezzled or pilfered, stole from God. And look what happens, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Right after God had delivered this amazing miracle of delivering Jericho into the Israelites' hands, Achan says, but I might need to hold something back, just like Ananias and Sapphira. I can't give it all to the Lord. Surely I can hold just a little bit back. The spoils of Jericho were to be used for sacred purposes in the same way. And that's why it was called a devoted thing. And again, the same language used here when we come back to Acts chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira had been entrusted by God to receive this land. And then they had made a commitment to God to give that land back to their original owner, the proceeds, the profits of that land back to its original owner, back to God. And then they didn't follow through and they lied. They lied. See, the sin began so much earlier in the hearts of Ananias and Sapphira. It didn't start with just holding some proceeds back. It started when that trap was set by Satan, and then they began to follow the desires of their own heart. This is why, by the way, we say it all the time, stop following your heart. It will deceive you. Your heart is sinful. Follow God's word. Follow God's people as they lead you in following God's word. Do not follow your heart. This is a lesson for us from the great John Owen who said, be killing sinner, it's gonna kill you. It's gonna creep in in that little temptation, that small idea, did God really say, is this really okay? Surely you can get away with this. No one will know, this won't really matter. Hidden, hidden, hidden away. And as we take hold of those things and begin to believe those and our sinful desires take over, we go from there. Be strong in the Lord before temptations come. Students, children in the room, I know that it's frustrated you perhaps your whole life because your parents are always keeping you down. They're always kind of holding you back, oppressing you. Let me just tell you what they're doing. They're doing all they can to guard and protect your hearts until they are strong enough, you are strong enough on your own to stand against those temptations. It's their responsibility, it's our job to do that, to protect you and do all that we can to guard you until you're ready and to teach you, to train you to be able to fight against the temptations of your own heart and against the lies of the enemy. And we have to do that for a season. Brothers and sisters, grown adults in the room, we need to be doing the same for ourselves, guarding our own hearts. This is why we have to get in community. We have to be in relationship with one another. If you are isolated from other people, you will be isolated and you will be tempted and you'll have nowhere to run. You're in a dangerous position. I can promise you that almost every situation that I encounter where someone comes and they're facing some challenge in their life, some serious degree of brokenness, what we're experiencing, the degree of brokenness that is here, started way back in the past. And in almost 100% of the time, I just hope you would believe me in this, almost 100% of the time, there was Isolation. Satan got someone isolated and alone and out of community where they couldn't hear the truth, where they weren't corrected, where they weren't encouraged, where they weren't poured into through God's word. And they began to believe his lies and then begin to believe the lies of their own sinful hearts. And there was no one there to protect them. This is why we have fight clubs. If you're not in a fight club, that's one of the things you can come down at the end of the service and talk with me about. I'd love to just encourage you and talk with you about that, how to get in community where you can be surrounded with a few other brothers and sisters and study God's word together and be equipped to live and do life together and to trust God and take him at his word. Well, as we keep going, and I'm almost running out of time here, the consequences, I told you all, I hadn't preached in a few weeks, so we're just going to have to buckle up, all right? The consequences, what happened? Well, both Ananias and Sapphira, again, as we said, experience what scholars call a judgment miracle. Look at verse 5 and 10 again. Chapter 5, verse 5. This is first, it happens to Ananias. When Ananias heard these words, Peter confronted him, said, you've lied not to man but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. He fell down and breathed his last. Peter didn't curse him, by the way. There's no evidence that this was something that Peter did. It was a condemnation of God to kill Ananias immediately. The same thing happened to Sapphira. Look down at verse 10. When the young, excuse me, immediately, verse 10, it says, She fell down at his feet and breathed her last. The consequences of sin is always death. Now we don't know about Ananias and Sapphira in terms of their salvation. They were considered a part of the body so much so that they were willing to give this property to the Lord. And so it doesn't say that they were condemned forever, but they were stricken down. God protected his church. He was not going to allow the sinfulness to continue. And so he removed them from his church by killing them physically. They died. We might say to ourselves, it seems a bit harsh. Couldn't he have like, Told them, hey, you didn't do that right. Couldn't have been a little more gentle about that. Come on, honey, just, you know, correct. Just, you know, do it a little better next time. No, God takes sin very seriously. The wages of sin is always death. We have to remember when we hear these challenging texts and things about God that he is God. His ways are higher than our ways. And since Ananias and Sapphira, again, were part of this body, God was going to protect his church. There's a reason that Luke records this story for us. There's a reason that God preserved this story in his word for us to read this, to understand how seriously God takes the holiness of his people. Look at the end of verses 5 and 11, though. Yes, there was death, but there's good news in that death even. At the end of verse 5, it says, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And it continues, and great fear came upon all who heard it. Verse 11, the same thing happens again after Sapphira is struck down. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. That fear led to life. The church survived. In fact, the church thrived. The church continued on its mission. And so, yes, there was a death that occurred because of the sinfulness. But in God's providence and his grace and his care for the church, that led the whole church to have a better understanding of what God demands, holiness of his people. Proverbs start, the very beginning, Proverbs 1, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise God's knowledge fools despise and we see foolishness all over the world today everyone's saying that God's ways can't be the right ways to follow God is saying to us through this text my ways are higher than your ways and they are perfect follow me don't follow your heart this is what God was after God is after, again, as Pastor Kyle began last week at the end of chapter 4, he has established by the power of the Holy Spirit, unity in Christ. And he has established in the church a great unity of the church. But there are threats to the unity of the church. We need to be on guards for these threats. The unity of the church is threatened by a lack of holiness. Ananias and Sapphira lied to God rather than reflecting the holiness of God. That's what they were called to do. They're called to live holy lives, lives that are set apart. Brothers and sisters, we are called to look different than the world. We can't so quickly strive to always assimilate ourselves. In fact, we need to say no to those temptations of assimilating and doing everything the way the world does them. The unity of the church is threatened by the fear of man. Ananias and Sapphira, again, we have to believe they committed what they did. They thought if we say we're gonna give this amount the church will think highly of us. They feared man. And they wanted the praise of man over being holy before God. It would have been so much better for Ananias and Sapphira to just simply say, you know what, God, we're going to sell our property and we're going to give you just this amount. We're going to hold the rest back because of whatever. That probably would have been better. Wouldn't have been the most generous thing to do. I'm not sure what God's response would have been. But I think it would have been better than lying to God because, again, holiness matters. We can't fear man more than we fear and revere God. The unity of the church is threatened also by idolatry. Ananias and Sapphira clearly valued other things more than they valued God. Pastor Tim Keller passed a couple weeks ago, a great pastor in New York. You've heard me quote him many times. And I heard a story of him recounting a conversation and really quoting Augustine. And he said this. Augustine said this. Pastor Keller quoted it again. I heard it just this week and I'm reminded of this quote. If we just followed the first commandment, we wouldn't need two through 10. To love God alone. The reason that God gives us two through 10 is because he knows we're gonna fail at number one. But imagine if we loved God completely and we said no to all the lesser gods of this world, all the shiny things, all those small g things that wanna rule us. And the unity of the church is threatened by idolatry. And so we must say no to those things. The church rather then falling prey to these threats must be unified. And we must be unified in these three ways. The church must be unified spiritually. Again, friends, remember, we are united to Christ. We are united to one another in Christ. All right? Spiritually speaking, we are the same. We are equals. We are equal before God because of Jesus. And so we must be unified spiritually spiritually. We also must be unified relationally. We're united by Christ to one another. I've already spoken about this. I'm not going to go on any longer. But we are united by Christ to one another. We're given to one another in relationship. And we must be unified missionally. God has called us to do a work. We have a purpose for being here. Yes, we're here this morning to worship him, to glorify his name to be encouraged, to sit under the teaching of his word, to sit under the teaching of his word through singing, through prayer, through all of these things. But he's done this so that we might go out into the world and have a purpose and understand our mission is just to bring more glory to his name. Each and every single one of us has a different calling on that. Tomorrow morning, every single one of us is unified in our mission to bring glory to God wherever we are. And guess how many places we are gonna be? Start counting off, Holly, no, we're not gonna do that. But just look around the room. There's probably about 180 to 175, I don't know, Kyle would know. He knows exactly how many people are in this room right now. But however many people are here, that's how many different places we're going tomorrow morning to bring glory to God. We are unified in our mission. That is what we're here to do. We have to remember that, friends. So let this text, this hard text, teach us that God takes our holiness, he takes our reverence, He takes our life seriously. And don't be discouraged by that, but be encouraged that he takes it so seriously because he intends to use us to do great and mighty things in this world. Not for our glory, not for anything for us, but so that he might receive more glory on the earth. As we come to receive from the Lord's table this morning, we're gonna take communion. Let this text also remind us that the demand of God is perfect holiness. Perfect holiness. Raise your hand if you had perfect holiness this week. Not me. If you expected that from me, just know I will fail you every week. Not just this week. But the demands of God are perfect holiness. And all too often we're very much like Ananias and Sapphira and we hold back from God. We try to kind of preserve our own lives. We kind of want to do these things. We lie to God. Let's just, we just lie to him. We say, I was gonna do this, but nah, I'm really not gonna do that anymore. I was gonna read my Bibles, I was gonna be a part of this Bible study, I was gonna do this, I was gonna go talk to my neighbor about you a little bit, kind of share a meal, do something, and we don't. We lie to ourselves, we lie to God, we do all these same things. We lie to others, we lie to ourselves. And because of that, God would be right, hear this, God would be right to condemn me, to condemn me forever and say, death. But because of what we remember when we come and receive from this table, Jesus took on that death for me and for you. For every single person in this room. Let me just tell you, you may not believe that Jesus did that for you, but he did it anyway. (laughs) Even you who don't believe what Jesus did, he did that for you. That's the power of Jesus. So we're going to come and receive from the Lord's table to remind ourselves that, yes, God, we have lied to you, we, you would be right to condemn us. But because Jesus Christ laid down his life, his body was broken through the symbol of the bread. His blood was shed, the symbol of the juice. We can have everlasting life. We can live lives as people who are not condemned. And we can be united together for his glory and for his work. This is a blessing that we get to receive. And so as we sing to the Lord again, in just a few moments, our elders are gonna serve the table. If you're a believer in Jesus, I just wanna invite you to come and receive from Jesus. If you aren't sure, if you're one of those that says, I'm not really sure about that, I don't know that what you just said is true. That's okay, we're so glad you're here. Spend this time and just ask God, you're here for a reason, I've gotta believe you're here for at least some reason, so if you do nothing else, just say, God, I want to understand why you brought me here. I don't really believe in anything that that guy said. He seems a little bit strange. I want to know why you brought me here. Ask him that. As we sing and the rest of us receive from the Lord's table, reminding ourselves of what Jesus did for us, we're going to be praying. I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to you. Just some brief instructions. Kyle and Heath are going to dismiss the outsides. First, you guys are going to come funnel back through. And then we'll release the center sections to come. If you'll always use the outsides and kind of use this center aisle as a return to your seats, that'll help. We got a lot of people in the room, praise God. um, But it'll help us as we navigate that. And so as the worship team leads us, um, let's come and receive from the Lord's table. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what we are about to receive. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to all those, anybody who's doubting who has questions of who you are. Come now, speak to us. And for those of us who are called your sons and daughters, we come to worship you and give thanks because we understand, we recognize our own sinfulness before you. We thank you for your mercy that we receive through Jesus. Do all this in his name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings. 930 and 11am and we look forward to meeting you there soon. City Church Melissa for the glory of God, the good of the city and the hope of the world. Oh, you say.